Welcome back to the EM Stud Podcast. We are turning the corner into the final week of February 2021, which means that there is just a little over a week until the rank list certification deadline on Wednesday, March 3rd at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Speaking of rank lists, in this episode, we're exploring how external information and misperceptions about the match process can actually influence and deter students from listing programs in order of true preference. If you're a student listening, ask yourself, what if a program told me I was at the top of their list? Or what if a program didn't? Would you change your list? To learn more about the impact of these factors and why it is truly in your best interest to stick to your preferred order on your rank list, we went to Dr. Ben Schnapp from the University of Wisconsin. So keep listening to hear more from him, and after you do, please be sure to view the NRMP video on the match algorithm and check out our previous episodes on rank lists and the match. Take it away, Scott. All right, Nate, well, thanks. Yes, it is definitely time to put in those rank lists, and I know our students are really having a lot of I think understandable stress about this crazy interview season. How do you make sense of it? How do you rank programs? I mean, I know there's some students out there I've seen with like a 50 line Excel sheet with a very complicated rubric. And then in the end, it's kind of just, here's how it felt. It felt good. Uh, That's the most common thing that I hear. And we wanna make sure that we're giving you guys the best information to make your rank list, to get you to see your goal as becoming an EM stud. And today I ran across a really cool article that I think was just fascinating uh, put together by a a new friend of the show here. And I wanted to bring him on to enlist his expertise from his research group and share with you guys um, how students can create rank lists and do you base it on your true preference? Uh, The title of this article is Misunderstanding the Match. Do students create rank lists based on true preferences? So with me today is Dr. Ben Schnapp. And so Ben, thank you and welcome to the EM Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh, talk about the article. All right, so Dr. Schnapp, tell us more, uh, a little bit about yourself. So I'm the uh, Associate Program Director at uh, the University of Wisconsin Residency Program in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Also the Education Fellowship Director uh, here as well. Man, that is really cool. So you've been uh, working there. You were assistant program director, I saw, and now you're an associate, so you're working your way through the ranks. That's fantastic. Tell us about your program a little bit. Yeah, so um, I think the big uh, kind of exciting thing about our program is that uh, we're a three plus one model, which is kind of uh, rare out there. Um, So three-year residency, and then everybody has the option to kind of stay on for a extra year, uh, pre-attending year, um, if, if you will, uh, to really develop their niche. And, um, you know, we really pride ourselves on mentoring to uh, help folks get there. Um, we've got a really robust uh, flight physician program here, uh, opportunity to uh, fly on the helicopter uh, pretty much from uh, very early on in residency. So uh, a lot of folks come and really uh, excited about that. And uh, just really outstanding faculty uh, from uh, all sorts of uh, of specialties. So uh, great ultrasonographers, global health folks, uh, EMS faculty. Uh, It's a really uh, exciting uh, program up here and a great spot in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, that's that's great to hear. I know you guys are definitely a respected program uh, nationwide. And so uh, that's fantastic to see that uh, you're a big part of it now. And again, putting out great research. So tell us about how you guys got interested in this research project. I, I thought it was fascinating. 
Yeah, so I mean, I think this is just stemmed from um, just some of the stuff that we've been hearing from uh, medical students, uh, both in person, but also uh, online about uh, how they uh, kind of think about making their rank lists and uh, thinking about how they rank programs. Because I think there's this idea out there that uh, you can game the match, that if you put in your um, programs in a special order, um, maybe uh, the way that they like you, uh, that you can get yourself a more favorable outcome than you might have otherwise had. Um, and I think there's a lot of this uh, misinformation circulating out in the world and not enough uh, information, I think, that uh, exists to counter that. So uh, we wanted to see if that was really true when we asked a bunch of students um, about how they were going to create their uh, theoretical rank list. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like that's a common misbelief is that this is maybe against the students or maybe there's a trick to it. Um, but I think as we're going to find out in your study, and also I think it's important for our students to know that the match algorithm is based on a student supporting student uh, centric uh, algorithm. And so why don't you tell us a little bit more about maybe what you guys actually did in the study? What, what clinical question were you trying to answer and what did you actually do? Yeah, so we wanted to create a situation that was as analogous to real life as possible. Um, we uh, basically created some scenarios um, and then had something change uh, in the scenario um, to see whether students would adjust their rank list. So for example, um, we had a student that uh, had their rank list all put together, um, but the program that they had ranked third on their rank list, the program director, who was their main reason for going to the program, uh, left the program. Um, and they were then asked to update uh, their rank list um, to see whether that would change things or not. Um, in that case, uh, that would be a case of a, of a pretty good reason to change your rank list. If you're really only excited about uh, working with that program director and now they're somewhere else, um, we, we would hope that you would uh, uh, update your rank list if that's the case. But the other scenarios we came up with uh, as a contrast were um, scenarios where um, nothing really changed about the student's true preferences, but uh, the student gave, uh, was given more information about how the program thought of them. Uh, so in one scenario, um, the student was told that, hey, the program was ranking mainly internal applicants uh, this year, uh, really focusing on uh, folks from their own institution. And because of that, they were going to be ranked at the bottom of their rank list. Now, I, in an ideal world, that shouldn't affect how you feel about the program at all. If that was your favorite program, that should be number one on your rank list still. But uh, as we found and, and kind of as we suspected, um, uh, a sizable percentage, a sizable minority of folks uh, felt like that was information that uh, would cause them to change their rank list around. Interesting. So you guys kind of set up this alternative universe and these uh, fictional programs and kind of had a little bit of a, uh, it sounds like a play out of a game, exactly, a rank game. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. Um, and we set up the game uh, in two different ways because we wanted to see whether uh, there was a difference between what people would do for themselves. So we had sort of a personal scenario if this was happening to you and then also set up a, a peer scenario. So if they found out that uh, one of their good friends from medical school, um, for example, uh, was told that they were at the very top of a rank list, how would they advise their friend? 
And we did that uh, for a couple of reasons. One, to uh, make sure that there was some internal consistency, make sure people were understanding the scenarios right. Um, but also to see if maybe there was a difference, um, to see if people maybe knew what the right thing to do was uh, and would tell uh, their friends uh, some good advice, but maybe wouldn't take that good advice for themselves that uh, for whatever reason, they uh, maintained some magical thinking about the uh, match algorithm uh, that they applied to their own uh, rank list. Unfortunately, we didn't see that. Gotcha, okay. So tell us a little bit more of the kind of the, the numbers and the results and the outcomes. So what did you, what did you decide and see? Yeah, so um, we found that um, the, when we asked students uh, what, whether their uh, perceived competitiveness would influence their rank list uh, at all, um, about 63% of uh, medical students uh, said that they would uh, per include perceived competitiveness uh, in their rank list decisions, uh, at, at least a moderate amount, um, which we thought was very, very high. Um, when in, uh, it came to the actual scenarios, um, we found that uh, there were 23% of students that would be willing to move a program lower on their list uh, if they learned that they were ranked low. Uh, and then 6% of students uh, ranked the program a little bit higher uh, if they found out that they were ranked uh, near the top of the list. And uh, as I said, there was pretty uh, high levels of agreement between what students said they would do uh, for themselves and what they uh, would ask a, or what they would advise a classmate to do. And that's really fascinating that, that we can influence people so much by some of these variables. I, I didn't think it would be that malleable, but I guess it is. Why, why do you think students behave? And I guess, I mean, I hate to call it irrational, but it just doesn't seem like it's a rational decision. If you really want to go to a program, uh, but maybe had a vibe that maybe they didn't like you as much. I mean, that you would rank them lower. It, it almost seems irrational, but, but why do you feel like students might behave this way? What are some factors? Well, I, I mean, I think this maybe breaks down into a couple different categories. And obviously we're, we're not sure about this. Uh, this is probably a great future uh, follow-up study to do, but one I think is just the uh, misunderstanding of how the match algorithm works. Um, Obviously, this is a this is an extremely successful uh, algorithm. Uh, was really a, a work of genius. I mean, they woke, won a Nobel Prize for this uh, algorithm. Uh, it's student favorable, so it it, it uh, prioritizes student preferences over program preferences in order to create the the greatest number of of happy matches. But it's it's also not easy to explain in one word uh, how it works. Um, and I think because of that, it, it sort of lends itself to a little bit of this magical thinking because people can't necessarily say, oh, well, it does this. Um, the NRMP has a video on how it works, but it's this kind of crazy six or seven minute thing uh, where a bunch of names start moving around on the screen and, you know, it starts giving you a headache pretty pretty early on. Uh, so I think there's, there's a little bit of the complexity that factors into it. Um, but I also think um, there's, uh, there's some psychology in this too. So uh, there's some uh, research out there that suggests that when people like you, um, you like them better back. Uh, so there maybe is some sense in which this isn't totally irrational. Uh, I mean, I think about it now with, you know, my own case, if somebody called me up and was like, hey, we have the perfect job for you, and it was, it was just, you're so well matched to this, then, you know, even if I wasn't at all interested in, uh, you know, finding another job, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, that's, that's really flattering. Uh, maybe, maybe I do like this that much better. Um, so I think that's where a lot of this, um, 
you know, behavior uh, that is otherwise fairly irrational around um, sending number one emails um, and, oh, you know, you're, you're very high on my, my rank list. I think that's where all of that's coming from uh, to try and influence that, that likability question. So, I mean, it almost sounds like a love letters work, if that's what I'm hearing right from you. <laughs> Is that a yeah, conclusion I mean, you would draw? And I think it's, I, I, I kind of think so. And, you know, hmm. they're, they, they shouldn't. And, you know, that's, we try and be rational about it here and, uh, you know, rank everybody as we see them. But yeah, I, I think the answer is is that on some level, for for some people, um, there there is a little bit of that likability that can be, you know, I don't think it's going to take a program that's at the bottom of your list and move it all the way to the top. But I think you know around those edges, if you are really um, you know torn between two programs, for example, and got a love letter from one of them saying, "Hey, we think that you're the cat's meow. We think that you're uh, exactly the sort of person that we have here." Yeah, maybe that's the tie-breaking factor that uh, kind of pushes that program over the edge for you. And, and I kind of understand that on some level. Yeah, I mean, I hear a lot of programs mention things like we don't want any second visits back when we could do a second visit. Of course, in COVID, we can't. Yep. Uh, I hear programs saying, please do not send us thank you letters. Please do not send us communications. And you should not expect anything like this from us. And I, I hear a lot of programs kind of have these maybe official policies or just the way we kind of do things here. Uh, and your information that you're presenting to us uh, might be a, a chink in that construct, perhaps, I'm wondering. And again, this is probably outside of the, the realms of, I think, the questions that your, your, your uh, research program, uh, project had answered, but it, it begs the question. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, as we mentioned briefly in the paper, um, I think in an ideal world, um, we would probably just put an end to all of that. Uh, there would be sort of a mutual uh, agreement by all programs and all students. You know, we'd save a lot of people a lot of money and uh, a lot of time by um, just putting an end to second looks and uh, these kind of crazy post-interview communications uh, where everybody tries to influence everybody else. Uh, because I, I think it can, um, you know, as as this study shows, uh, lead people potentially. Uh, to uh, make irrational decisions or, um, you know, uh, create rank lists uh, in less than ideal ways. But um, I think until that happens, uh, unfortunately, because this works maybe even in some small way, uh, I think people are going to be inclined to continue to do it. Well, that makes sense. Um, were, were there any things in the study that really surprised you? I always love when we do research, you kind of have a, a mindset like, well, this is probably going to happen. Here's my hypothesis. But there's always kind of these little surprises and wrinkles. Uh, did you discover anything like that in your work? Yeah. Um, one of the things that we weren't expecting uh, was the difference between uh, how uh, students responded when told that they were ranked at the top of a rank list versus um, ranked at the bottom of a rank list. Um, when they were told that they were one of the top applicants by a program, uh, not that many of them changed things around uh, much at all. Um, only 9% of uh, the respondents versus 23% um, would move a program lower on their list if they, were, uh, they found out that they were ranked low uh, by that program. And it wasn't necessarily something we had thought of. Uh, we figured that the, if there was gonna be a rational behavior there, uh, it was going to be sort of in parallel at the top or at the bottom. Um, and, but um, we 
thought maybe it makes sense. Um, you know, there's this idea out there of, of loss aversion and, you know, maybe this ties into that people are more, um, they're going to feel worse uh, if they, they uh, kind of lose the uh, attachment to um, one of the top programs on their list. Um, so uh, thinking that that maybe ties into this uh, on some level. The other thing uh, that we uh, were kind of surprised by is that there were uh, a certain percentage of respondents that uh, didn't change their rank list around uh, when they uh, we felt that they should have. So uh, to return to that example of, you know, if the program director uh, that was, we set up the scenario as the sole reason they wanted to come to that program uh, left the program, would you change? Uh, if uh, a parent fell ill and uh, you wanted to move to be closer to them, uh, would you change your rank list to reflect that? And there were some people who responded no. Um, and, and that was uh, interesting to us too. Uh, obviously not something that we explored further. Um, certainly a percentage of that could be people kind of misunderstanding the scenarios, but uh, it, it implies maybe that there are other factors that people are using to generate their rank lists and uh, would be curious to learn kind of what those other factors are. And that's interesting. Um, and it's, it's also probably important for us to mention that by listening to this, we don't want to create the expectation that students should be hearing from programs that, hey, by the way, you're at the top of our list or at the bottom of our list. Um, communicating to students uh, their position on the rank list, I, I think from a program is a violation of the NMRP. And so we just want to make sure that that's, that's clear. Uh, this is kind of a, a fictional world that it seems like you guys created. So just wanted to make sure, is that your understanding? Yeah, and I mean, I, I think this really hasn't changed. If anything, has reinforced um, what I try and advise students who um, you know ask about these sorts of things is that you know block all of this stuff out. Uh, really, the bottom line advice is is absolutely the same: is make your rank list the way you see them. Rank them in order. Trust the Nobel Prize will, winning algorithm to uh, do right by you, and uh, you know things will will turn out favorably. Uh, I always uh, laugh when, when I hear these stories of, of people. Uh, we had a resident uh, a couple of years back uh, who couples matched and he and his partner uh, chose different top residencies. Um, and, and they were, when they both got them uh, and ended up in, at two different institutions, they were like, well, we didn't think that it would work out like this. I was like, well, why not? That's, <laughs> that's the way it's supposed to work. You, this is what you asked for. I don't think he'd mind me sharing that story. They're, they're happily uh, in one place now. Yeah, that's anonymous enough. <laughs> now, one of the interesting things you guys did in this study, and I'm interested in, in maybe the, the why behind this, but it seems like you divided up the scenarios into both a personal scenario where the students were navigating their own rank list but then also you guys had a separate, uh, I guess, cohort where they were asked to advise a peer. T tell me a little bit more about why you threw that wrinkle into that because it's interesting. Yeah, so this is something that we um, weren't 100% sure about, but uh, wanted to uh, investigate for a couple reasons in, in our study. So one was kind of this idea of internal consistency uh, to address the potential critique of the study that, hey, maybe people just weren't understanding uh, these scenarios for whatever reason. and. Uh, giving us a, a high level of, of irrational responses just because they, they didn't understand the, the construct. So we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, peer and uh, personal uh, behavior kind of lined up. Um, 
And, uh, you know, we did that by basically uh, varying the questions very slightly in terms of content, but keeping the fundamental structure the same. So in one scenario, they might be told that uh, they uh, were ranked lower because the program was uh, prioritizing internal applicants. Uh, in another, they were told that uh, a faculty mentor had heard through the grapevine that they were ranked at the bottom of the list. But Fundamentally, the uh, information that they were given uh, was the same uh, across both of the scenarios. The other thing that we were a little bit uh, interested in in this was to see whether uh, there was a fundamental difference perhaps uh, with the way that uh, they were advising their peers versus uh, the way that they were behaving when they were creating their own rank lists. Um, it was kind of in the back of our mind that maybe people knew exactly what they should be doing uh, and would advise a friend, you know, give them good advice on, hey, don't change your rank list around, like that's not a good idea. But when it came to themselves, when uh, they were like, hey, you're at the top of the rank list, boy, like somehow that, that kind of feels different. Uh, and that would maybe change their behavior more than uh, it might for uh, a friend. And fortunately, we, we didn't see that. Uh, we did see uh, that kind of internal consistency and uh, a fairly high rate of agreement between behavior across the, the peer and personal scenarios. Yeah, I, I just, this is such a powerful, I think, example of the human psychology. I, I got done reading um, uh, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, which uh, he's a moral psychologist. And, and his, his uh, hypothesis that I think has been supported by a lot of studies he mentions in his book is that we oftentimes will make moral decisions based on feelings more than objective truth. And, and it's, a, it, it's like, man, really, do we do that? And I think we're seeing this in your study. I mean, it's just a, one more piece of evidence that we're a very uh, feeling-driven creature uh, when we make yeah. our decisions. Absolutely. I mean, I think it ties back to what you were saying at the very start of this. Of you know, I think a lot of uh, applicants start out their interview season with the spreadsheet and uh, you know how many months of ICU and how many months of vacation and and all of that and and it's all nonsense. Um, you know, the the applicants this year didn't get to see that. Uh, all emergency departments, all ICUs, all hospitals kind of fundamentally look the same. Um, and really it's about that feeling you get when you uh, kind of finish up the interview day. Um, I, one of my mentors from fellowship had a great uh, study idea that he wanted to do at some point that was the selfie study uh, that after your interview day, you snap a picture of your face and uh, use that to help you make uh, your decisions at the uh, end of the season when it's time to make your rank list because it really is it's uh it's what is that feeling um you know what uh how does the program uh kind of make you feel that uh does wind up being the most important and i think this is just one kind of small piece of that and then i guess the con the, the contrary to that would be we we probably should be more objective in our decisions when you mention things like you have a a, a patient or a parent with a you know, serious illness. Uh, maybe you have a partner with a good job in that area, or you have family in the region. You have really good reasons objectively to rank that program high. Uh, we should not let our feelings drive us in a bad direction, I guess, is what I'm hearing also from your study. Is that what you would say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you absolutely should continue uh, to take into account the big picture and trust that the match algorithm will uh, reflect that, that uh, you're not going to be giving yourself an advantage by uh, trying to rank programs that are uh, ranking you higher or rank programs lower that are ranking you lower. Um, you're not giving yourself uh, any advantage. So really, really, please, 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 we've said this before, but uh, trust the algorithm, rank them as you see them. The algorithm is complicated. The advice uh, at the bottom line is not rank them as you want them.
Well, there you go. I think that's a, that's some solid advice. Now, my, my question for you, Dr. Schnapp, so every time I do research or read a paper, I mean, it kind of changes you a little bit. So how has this influenced and changed you as a, a faculty mentor? We have a lot of maybe faculty that are listening to this podcast. So how did this change your approach in advising students and, and how, how are you different on the other side of this project? Yeah, I mean, I think that the big takeaway for me about this was that I think this is something that uh, just reminds us all that we need to be explicit about maybe the things that we didn't know that we needed to be explicit about before. I think there's kind of this sense of, oh, the match is out there and kind of students understand how that works. Um, we don't necessarily need to uh, give them explicit advising about that because they hear about it. Uh, we talk about it all the time. But when we talk about it all the time, we're not necessarily saying the right things, um, you know, in informal conversations, you know, online, on Reddit forums, uh, and what have you. Uh, people, I think, are getting their advice and uh, hearing things uh, from all sorts of different sources, and uh, maybe even sources that are erroneous. You know, if a faculty member uh, is uh, has a misunderstanding about how the match algorithm works, they might pass that along uh, to one of their students, uh, kind of perpetuating the this myth. Um, and you know, this goes back all the way to the beginning of the, the match algorithm. They never actually implemented this, but um, there was a proposed version of the match algorithm back in the 1950s uh, that actually uh, there was going to be some advantage to gaming. So you know, it's it's like everything in medicine. You know, old uh, myths die hard, and, uh, and and I think this may be uh, another example of that. That uh, you know, there was never actually a uh, algorithm that uh, wasn't so-called stable, where uh, everybody's uh, preferences uh, were, um, there was nobody's preference that would be uh, altered by uh, gaming it, but uh, it was proposed at one point. So I think that's another sort of fascinating tidbit uh, that uh, goes along with this. But yeah, I think the bottom line is um, make sure that we're being explicit about uh, even things as simple as uh, talking about the match and, and how it works and what to do when you're creating your rank list, because uh, there's lots of stuff that you might feel is so simple as uh, need to be unspoken, but uh, it's really not. Um, so real quick, what, what questions are you guys going to be answering next? Like what's the next level of investigation into this, uh, this subject? Yeah, so I mean, I think there's all sorts of uh, interesting follow-up projects that could stem from this. Uh, I think it'd be fun, uh, having done this now, to sit down with a bunch of students for a qualitative study. Uh, and do a little bit of a deeper dive to um, kind of investigate uh, exactly how students are thinking about this. Where are they getting their information from? Uh, is this word of mouth? Is this online? Uh, the old student doctor net, uh, is that still around? Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think to really deep uh, dive into how they're thinking about this and, and how they're um, creating those rank lists would be really fascinating. Um, right now, the project that we're working on is a little bit of a different bent, uh, but uh, also has to do with kind of this uh, transition to residency uh, time period. Um, we're actually looking at the uh, hobbies that uh, folks list on their uh, application um, to uh, kind of see um, what sorts of things people are looking at, at uh, listing. What do they feel comfortable putting on, on their application? Uh, how does it differ in emergency medicine from uh, some other specialties? Because uh, I think that's kind of a, a fascinating uh, question as well. I think one of the parts of the application that uh, has received less attention, but uh, certainly I think gets a lot of play on the interview trail. Uh, people love to kind of dig in on those uh, those hobbies. Uh, and I think it really does kind of round out the application and in terms of uh, presenting applicants 
uh, really as, as fully formed people, uh, which uh, is, is increasingly recognized as, as such an important part of this uh, application process. Yeah, I mean, I always think like the, the hobbies are such a great wild card, you know, it's high risk, high reward. You know, I mean, if you put something down that, that really resonates with, with the person that you're interviewing or the interviewer, uh, that can really be a, a point of a mutual relationship and interest that'll form and, and that really can be a powerful tool. And again, it could also be, like you said, maybe a, a dangerous thing too. That's really cool. Well, thank you for coming on to the uh, EMstead podcast, Dr. Snap. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, how can they follow you on maybe some social media platforms or email? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my email is up on uh, the University of Wisconsin Department of Emergency Medicine website. I'm bschnapp at medicine.wisc.edu. Um, I'm also online on uh, Twitter. So uh, my handle is schnappadap, S-C-H-N-A-P-P-A-D-A-P. Uh, I'm happy to chat with anybody about uh, applying, making a match list, uh, the University of Wisconsin. Uh, you can hit me up about pretty much anything. Well, great. Thank you so much, uh, first of all, for doing this wonderful research. Again, this is a, an article out of the January 2020 version of the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. And the title of the article is Misunderstanding the Match. Do Students Create Rank List Based on True Preferences? And Dr. Ben Schnapp is our uh, primary author. And so we thank you for your research. And I thank you for coming on to the uh, EMSTED podcast to explain and answer some questions on this important work. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It was great chatting with you. All right, students, well, that wraps up another edition of the EMSTED podcast. If you're interested more about our podcast, please check out our website at www.emstud.com. Also, special thanks to the Society of Academic Emergency Medicine. On behalf of my colleague, ER Dr. Nate, this is your emergency medicine coach, Dr. Scott Wieters, your EM coach, signing off for another edition of the EMSTED podcast. Rotate well, my friends. Mm -hmm.